kept me up at night and I had to sort of dump all the other uh, career path uh, prep I took. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I took a risk, found a coach, Bill Barry, who's a legend in the sport. And I didn't know, I asked him, you know, is it possible? He didn't know at first. And uh, we just, you know, bit the bullet and yeah, the rest is history. Hello and welcome to the Mayman Show. We are coming to you from our studios in Riyadh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And our guest today has been shipped from Jeddah, the Bride of the Red Sea, to Riyadh just to be with us today. We have the captain of the Saudi Arabian rowing team, Hassan Ali Rida. Thank you for being shipped and being our guest today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank yeah. you for the invite. All right. Well, how did it feel to, you know, go from Jeddah to Riyadh just to... Honestly, nowadays it's like catching the bus. Yeah, I'm on that plane like once a week. Yeah, I mean, well, yes, I was gonna say. I mean, before we started recording, you're telling me you're here once a week, yeah. right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, and when you're not here once a week, uh, first of all, I want to say congratulations on your gold medal win at the uh, Saudi Games, Thank and you. you're also the first rower to compete in the Olympics, and that was in Tokyo in 221. Um, so you are also recently elected to the Olympic Council of Asia Athletes Committee. Um, so how did you get involved in, in rowing in, in general? And what inspired you to want to compete at an Olympic level? In a nutshell, um, I'm very bad at ignoring opportunity, even if there's a 1% chance mm -hmm. of success. So that happened towards graduation. Uh, in Cambridge, uh, I was rowing there, uh, did well at the uni, and uh, towards graduation, there was an opportunity to go for Tokyo. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know how realistic that was, yeah. but um, uh, there was a chance just because, you know, the, the rate of improvement from when I started to graduation uh, suggested it may be possible, so I just couldn't ignore that thought, you know, okay. just kept me up at night, and I had to sort of dump all the other... Uh, career path uh, prep I took mm -hmm. and um, yeah I took a risk found a coach Bill Barry who's a legend in the sport and I didn't know I asked him you know is it possible he didn't know at first and uh, we just you know bit the bullet and uh, the rest is history so alhamdulillah uh, right. it's, it's yeah. So you be, you make it sound like it was seamless, you know? Did your oh. coach did your coach <laughs> want to take you on right away? Did he think you were not really? You know, What's yeah? funny is when I emailed him, I actually didn't put my real figures, okay. you know, my my fitness figures. I sort of tweaked it uh -huh. just so he can uh, give me some time mm -hmm. um, until we did our first test. Then he looked at me like he was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But um, you know, he's an amazing guy. He's he just finished with uh, the GB rowing team. He won a silver medal in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. He's the only human on earth who had attended the same Olympics in the same city as an athlete and a coach. All right. so Tokyo 64 and Tokyo 2020. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we just, you know, there was no federation at the time, so I'd lived in the UK pretty much with him. Mm -hmm. And we trained every day out of his rowing club, Tidoy Scholars. Yeah. And that's it. It was three times a day, every day, one day off every two weeks. And that was my life uh, three to four years. Okay. And, and, and what was your career prep before you realized there's potential? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have a passion for anything specifically. Uh, That's why I wasn't, you know, didn't take much to convince me to, okay. to go down this. But what would it have been? That's why I'm the king of miscellaneous information. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, like nothing. <laughs> no no one's asked me that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was going to be in like tech consulting. 
Okay. Yeah. You don't strike me as a tech consultant. Neither. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, well, I'm glad you made the switch, and you know it turned out good yeah. and everything. So, um, what what's the Saudi uh, Rowing Federation up to um, in terms of preparation for Paris? Uh, the Saudi Federation is very young. It was founded just three years ago. Yeah. Um, and so in, we used the last three years to sort of build the foundations, mm-hmm. uh, focused on the, you know, the technical staff, the backroom staff, getting the foundations correct to go forward. And okay. alhamdulillah, we reached the point where we can now focus on the more technical things of the federation. Mm-hmm. Um, we've secured the best people possible. Um, the, the CEO is Yusuf Shleidan. And he is a very meticulous man who has a, a very good eye for detail. Okay. Um, and he sets such a high professional standard in the, uh, in the uh, federation that you can, you know, it's reflected in everything the federation does, all the events. Um, so we've been incredibly lucky to have him. Mm-hmm. He's very well connected, very well spoken. He's a great leader. Our coach, Matthew Tarrant, uh, He's a five-time world uh, champion medalist, and he is two of them were gold. He's a three-time Olympian, and he's only 33. So he came straight from Team GB after Tokyo. Uh, he was with me in Tokyo, and he came uh, to be the, uh, the head coach here, um, right. sort of replacing Bill Barry. And uh, this guy came out of the toughest uh, sort of rowing institution, one of the toughest in the world. It's called okay. o- you know, Oxford Brooks University in the UK. All right. And they're sort of militant. I mean, the things that, you know, the training regimes that uh, this guy has been through. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a tough cookie. All right. And uh, he, you know, he doesn't even fancy taking much holiday. He's always working. And, you know, his relentlessness that has brought him so much success on the water is woven into everything he does um, off the water. All right. Um, and I think that's very good for our culture, um, for new athletes to, from the get-go to instill... Uh, the correct culture. So again, we're lucky to have Matt, and to have moved from the UK to Saudi to Jeddah, um, he's moved pretty seamlessly. No complaints. Mm-hmm. Just put his head down. So uh, he's a great guy. And um, so going forward, it's inshallah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an quite, It's quite the journey. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a brand new sport because yeah. on one hand you have to set up this federation, but you also have to educate people of the sport it's com- it was completely but, unknown i mean that's that's what i was going to ask you so what what is basically something that your average person wouldn't know about that is critical in growing a sport from its grassroots um i mean we've met no criticism to be honest mm-hmm. um, people are just so excited to to be honest um diversify the saudi sports scene away yep. from football mm-hmm. Um, nothing wrong with football, but just to add a bit of diversity. So when we talk about introducing rowing here, a lot of people are just really excited. How can I sign up? What is it? Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of people think it's on the machine, which uh, they've only been exposed to, but rowing is on the water. It's not yeah. really on the machine. So um, it's really exciting. And the future, you know, Yusuf and Matt have devised this blueprint of grassroots development. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know divided into stages, um, scouting, recruitment, and development. So the first stage, we're going to go to about 50 schools around the country. Okay. And it, this is a very data-driven approach. Mm-hmm. And we're literally going to just measure out you know people who are biomechanically favorable for the sport. Okay. Um, 
And from that, we're going to scout a group of athletes. And then it's the development uh, stage. And that's mm -hmm. broken down into six stages. All right. Uh, the first one is, uh, I think it's learn to row. And then the last one is train to win. Okay. Train to win is like the elite athlete category. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so that's really exciting because up to this point, we've recruited athletes sort of organically through uh, world um, sort of Saudi championships. Yeah. Um, we haven't really scouted out people. Uh, they've come to us. Okay. So we're going to go to them. Um, sort of moving faster than sort of private Pick up sector. The pace. Uh, yeah. All right. We, the private sector was a bit too slow for our sort of ambitions. So we're just going to, that's where it came from. This is Yusuf's uh, doing. Um, and the next exciting thing is holding uh, sort of events. Okay. Uh, competitions. Get right, some experience. World, world uh, yeah. competitions. So the next one, I think we're want to host the indoor championships in okay. 2025. Mm -hmm. And then the 2027 beach sprint right. championships, which uh, is sort of a rowing is divided into two. There's mm -hmm. classic, right. which is what I've done. And then there's coastal, which is on the beach with waves and it's a bit more fun. Yeah. Okay. What makes it more fun aside from the waves? Well, it's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's on the beach. Uh -huh. um, from an audience perspective, so I'll tell you what it is. It's You actually start on land. Okay. You sprint maybe, how many meters? Maybe 50? Okay. Maybe 30. To the boat, get on the boat, start rowing 250 meters out. Mm -hmm. And this is, you're crashing into waves. I mean, the weather has no, mm -hmm. whatever the weather is, we row. You row 250 out round a buoy, row back, mm -hmm. and then get off the boat, sprint to a buzzer, okay. basically where you started. And there are two people going at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's your head-to-head -head race. Um, from an audience perspective, you can see the entire race from your seat, as okay. opposed to traditional rowing, where it's two kilometers straight drag race. So you can only really see the race towards the end. Okay. So from coastal rowing, there's a lot more action, a lot more unpredictability. Okay. Um, and it was just announced that it'll be included as an Olympic sport in LA 2028. All right. Since the inception of the Olympics, it's only been traditional rowing. But now, uh, thankfully, it's coastal rowing is included. Okay. It's just a lot more um, fiery. There's a lot more action. And okay. So it gives you guys another target, right? Does yeah, it? exactly. Okay. And now we have two Olympic sports under our belt. Okay. And uh, this one is a lot sort of well-suited to the Saudi environment because we have a lot of beaches. Yeah. Um, so we can, and it's a lot less expensive, so we can host a lot more events. And it helps accelerate a little bit because, you know, you, there's, you know, you got a natural facility right there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you yeah. don't understand how difficult it is to get a traditional rowing lake, you know, yeah. up to exact specs. It's, if you don't have it already there, then, uh, it's pretty impossible unless okay. you build it yourself. Uh, uh, right. luckily we have, uh, a place in Dura Talarus. It's mm. two kilometers. It's flat. So thankfully we do have one. But uh, what I'm really excited about is the coastal rowing. Right. It just opens up a whole new world, and it's a it's a it's a little easier to get a hold sort of to 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 master than traditional. So it'll involve a lot more Saudis. Okay, and then before we we, we move, I want to get back to when you're saying you're looking for people who are biomechanic because you make it biomechanically suited for rowing because you make it sound like you guys are creating the next Steve Austin six million dollar man cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> In layman's term, who is who is biomechanically fit for rowing? Um, well, mm. it's we're gonna essentially measure wingspan, All right? So how uh, wide your your reach is, mm -hmm. height, 
and lung capacity. Okay. Now, some of them may not, you know, like lung capacity, if you're measuring in kids, they're not fully developed, so yeah. it might not matter too much. But generally speaking, generally, the taller you are, the more favorable that is for rowing. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about levers. So okay. in terms of physics, you might get a little more push mm -hmm. um, with one stroke if you're a little taller than if you were shorter. Okay. But I don't want to discourage you know, people who are a little shorter. I mean, the, the gold medalist at the Tokyo Olympics was by no means the tallest. Okay. Um, he had a lot of other taller people in that final that he beat. Mm -hmm. So it's not... It's not about height. It's not really about height. It's just, it's just the whole sort of uh, build of the person. So it's, 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 it's like a mix of stamina, endurance, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, with a little bit of power. You know, there's, there's a certain sweet spot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we can't really measure that on the day. I guess yeah. it just, it's just, uh, it's just a sort of a guideline, a rough guideline to mm -hmm. uh, who you can work with and who has a say a higher chance. Okay. Um, but you know, Haya, for example, Haya, she she did extremely well in the Saudi Games, okay. and she's by no means the tallest. All right. So again, I'm not discouraging uh, people who aren't tall. Mm -hmm. So. All right. And speaking of sweet spots, this you know, being an athlete who's competed internationally, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has become a sweet spot for global sporting events. Yeah. Um, you know, with with many, I mean. I would give you just one or two examples, but there's a plethora. So we have Dakar Rally, we have the Formula One, Formula E. We have a lot of international participation. We're hosting f international football leagues in the kingdom. Yeah, just that's just to name a couple: boxing, what have you. So, um, you know, what what's what, what's your take on on the Saudi landscape, especially as an athlete who's participating in a sport that's being grown. And it's grassroots. So, yeah. what's how do you see this evolving, and where do you see um, rowing, you know, fitting into this expansion? I like how you said that keyword. Yeah. Grassroots. Okay. Um, maybe some people wouldn't don't really fully understand what the point of hosting these events are. Mm -hmm. I'll speak from an athlete's perspective. Uh, number one, it encourages a competitive environment in the country. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, to host world-class athletes, to demonstrate world-class performances and expose the people to what it takes to perform on the world stage. That's priceless. Mm -hmm. um, it inspires people. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, and I will say this, you know, some countries that uh, have a far smaller bud sporting budget than, than we do yeah. uh, perform very well in the, in the international stage. And that just mm -hmm. comes down to the culture. Yeah, they have a sort of grassroots competitive um, environment mm -hmm. uh, locally. Yes. So this is what these events encourage here, mm -hmm. and what we have maybe historically haven't had as much of. Um, it's happening now, and you know we will see the benefits very soon. Mm -hmm. um, and away from you know competitive sports, it's intrinsically linked to the quality of life. Yeah, which is under the you know Vision Twenty Thirty. So you know, the social and economic benefits of hosting these events are undeniable and well-documented. Um, it's, it, it improves the health of the, of the general population, which in turn decreases the stress and cost of the healthcare in the, uh, in, in the country. It mm -hmm. improves the GDP. And also, if we are ready to host world-class events, then why not? Yeah. I, you know, we don't have to explain. 
why these events are happening here because we can and it's amazing the the diversity of events we're hosting as you said you know mm -hmm. there was the america's cup sailing yes. there was comic-con on the same weekend mm -hmm. you have formula one you have football and going forward you have the asian games in 2034 which yeah. is a multi-sport event in the world cup so we are ready to host these events and um and we've proven we can host these events very successfully mm -hmm. so why not you know I mean, it's just I, our, it's just us playing our part in the international stage yeah i mean in, in motorsports alone we, we we hold the three biggest motorsporting events so i think if we can do that we can yeah. we can we can do anything right yeah and if jamaica can have a bobsled team you know we can, <laughs> we can definitely have our own team right right <laughs> just, uh so let's let's get back to uh your uh this this initiative that we were talking about peace and sport and also your involvement with the olympic council of asia the athletes committee tell us a little bit about these two and uh, you know your involvement with the olympic council and and this uh peace and sport sure. initiative you know these are two uh, really amazing and exciting things um the peace and sport is a is an organization a non-profit based out of monaco and um you know, they're made up of athletes, retired and active, mm -hmm. who promote uh, peace around the world. You know, it includes Didier Drogba, Sadio Mane, um, and uh, uh, I've been recently uh, included. So it's an incredible honor. And um, uh, we haven't, this has just happened, so I haven't been on my first sort of deployment, but I'm super excited. Okay. Um, and the, the OCA Athlete Committee. Yeah. Uh, that happened in, in September. I, there was an election during the Asian Games in China, mm -hmm. and I was there lobbying. Okay. And my friend, lobbying is not fun. <laughs> it's a lot of hard me. work. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it was really fun in a way, mm -hmm. in the sense that I met so many athletes. I met so many uh, delegations, people from so many different countries. Uh, but it was very labor-intensive, you know, meeting people, and, you know, pitching yourself why... Uh, they should vote for you. So it was 12,000 athletes in the athlete village and mm -hmm. there was a voting booth and everyone votes. Okay. Um, so there's a select few sort of athletes who are voted in and their job is essentially to be the voice of the athletes of Asia. Mm -hmm. So um, we are the connect of the athletes to the Olympic Council of Asia. So any big decisions that are made need the athletes' input and it's right. our job to be the voice of these athletes. So Alhamdulillah, I was uh, elected and um, uh, honestly, I find it so fun and joyful to help athletes in any way I can. Okay. And how many people did you have to talk to? <laughs> oh, it was, it, was, it was over three weeks. Okay. From 11 a.m. Okay. to 10 p.m. in that dining hall. Mm -hmm. Just meeting people. So you do the math. I honestly, I don't know. Yeah, if, you had, the, if you had to give me a ballpark figure. I can tell you how many votes I got. Okay. How many votes did you get? I got around 2,600, I think. Okay. Um, I think. It was 2,000, in the mid-2,000s. All right. Out of, like, what was the total uh, voting? Um, so it's, it's, it's by region. So okay. every region can only elect a male and a female. Okay. Um... Honestly, I need to. I have no idea. Okay, I mean, two thousand still. That's that's that's. But I think second place was thousand five hundred. So. Okay, so I was really chuffed and uh, honored. Is, honestly, you did some good lobbying. Let's just put it that way. Right? <laughs> good lobbying. Just it's very late. You just gotta be there, and you just gotta <laughs> right. gotta meet people. 
Okay. So and 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 also recently, you know, you're, you're getting out of your your comfort zone as an athlete as well. So you're you're not just rowing. You're you're also um, serving as an ambassador for Cartier, and you have a partnership with with Nike, and you're expanding your horizons. Let's put it that way. So just tell me a little bit about that experience. How did one? How did they? How do these opportunities present themselves? What mm. does it add to you as a person? How's it different than? being an athlete <laughs> <laughs> great question another question i've never been asked yeah well that's the You're whole point of being this. on the You're main very... show <laughs> i give you these fake talking points and then i <laughs> catch you off guard when we record <laughs> oh lovely yeah. um i mean after tokyo as with any athlete i think you will be approached commercially uh-huh. and for a good two years i've uh, i sort of ignored uh, a lot of them just because it, it it wasn't my uh, sort of comfort zone to veer into the world of sort of media. And initially, okay. I, I did nothing. I grew I think, up in media. <laughs> the, the journalism. That's, yeah. that's, that's good. Okay. <laughs> it's a different, different, different thing. Different, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, the only thing I did do, because it made sense, was Nike. All right. Um, and I just got a call uh, saying they wanted to sign. And what was cool is they've never signed a rower before. Yeah. So that's what really was. I mean, it's not like they're, you know, the compensation isn't big at all. You know, but it was such just such an honor mm-hmm. to represent, you know, Nike, and they've offered uh, to supply with anything I need, yeah. any resources. So that's what they do. You know, when you're included in the family, um, they give you and they essentially facilitate uh, your development as an athlete. That's mm-hmm. what they're interested in. They're interested in performance. Okay. So they'll give you whatever you need to to succeed. So that's why that made. Uh, a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in Cartier, I didn't expect that one, but yep. I mean, what an honor. Uh, okay. I, I can't explain it, but why I really liked them was, you know, they, they don't even have to do any marketing, to be honest. It's such a well-known, prestigious brand. Yeah, it's synonymous luxury brand. Right. Yeah. And so the marketing they do is is uh, very much storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's not, they don't focus too much on the jewelry itself. Yeah, but they sort they of tell stories, making a, a story, making an impact, something that catches your attention. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's what I really liked. Okay. And um, and sentimentally, uh, my mother had worn a, a Cartier all her life, and I didn't realize it was one until I was, you know, yeah. uh, much older, because uh, okay. it has a very distinct shape. So I, you know, I associate that brand with her uh, mm-hmm. very much. It was just one watch all her life, and it just. You know, never changed. So okay. I um, I'm sentimentally attached to the brand as well. All right. I mean, but but also being you know a part of Cartier is you're stepping out of the realm of sports, so you're getting a fresh batch of eyes on you. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, How's it different? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's it's of course the interests are different. That's 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 for sure. But like, how's it different for you? Like, what did you notice the difference? Um, I mean, the most striking moment, and this is not a, a Cartier thing, I think it was at the Cannes Film Festival, mm-hmm. just that world of, uh, how would you label it? The glitz and glamour? The glitz and glamour. The joie de vivre yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I can't say anything bad about Cartier, honestly. They mm-hmm. they support your mission. They're an incredible team. Okay. Um, you know, they're, the local uh, team are based out of the Bay, and mm-hmm. they're become you know, my very good friends. Um, so th- that's amazing. Okay. Just all positives. But the glitz and glamour world, 
mm -hmm. uh, in Cannes, so I attended last year. Mm -hmm. And what I found striking about that world is not many people seem to enjoy themselves yeah. in these moments and events. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone there was on assignment or was a sort of a walking billboard. It's like a business networking event. It's it's networking is productive, mm -hmm. um, but you know a few people were. Most people I just found they were in a rush mm -hmm. or they were stressed. It was just go go go. Um, the city itself turns into a studio. There's okay. just a photo shoot everywhere you look, mm -hmm. and you'll get screamed at if you interrupt one. Yeah. Very bluntly. Mm -hmm. they, they're not afraid to scream at you. Yeah, of um, course. Which is <laughs> it's, it's quite amusing. Okay. But everywhere you look, there's a photo shoot happening. So everyone there is, it's, they're on business. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was fascinating to watch. I mean, if you, if you enjoy people watching, then I highly suggest yeah. go to Cannes. Okay. But I just, I thought it would be more of a happy vibe, but it, Really? It, yeah. It yeah. Was, I mean, that, that's that's the one thing everybody sees, people walking the red carpet and all that. They think it's all fun and games, right? Until they get down people, to business and they see there's more to it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a it's lot. I, I do come, so I, like, I, I see the back end of all these kind of yeah. things. So. But I met a lot of wonderful people. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. It's There are lots of wonderful people there. It's just, uh, it's funny to see behind the scenes, mm -hmm. then see that content on social media. Yeah. Having it been sort of polished and well th that's that's one thing i mean we're gonna have to show the audience is your trip back to, <laughs> to, to saudi right i mean i remember when when i was talking to you like i'm in ken yeah you know and i'm like okay this dude's on a private jet <laughs> and then there's this video of you scrunched up yeah. in in economy with a little kid screaming in the background that's how i travel usually so it's, it's fine but <laughs> you know i mean but it just so goes literally to show. 24 hours yeah, ne after. Never believe the glitz and glamour you mm. see on TV, right? Mm. Okay. And uh, so, you know, growing up, you know, like you, you grew up mainly where? In Jeddah. In Jeddah. And then in the UK, right? Uh, yeah. At 11, I was sent to boarding school. Okay. In the UK. All right. Well, I went, I went to an American school even here. So um, so who, who were your inspirations in life? You must have had a role model something you know what i mean like like me i i, I like certain there, there are certain celebrities that come to mind you know like with me like eddie murphy jamie fox interesting just because how they transitioned from being a comedian to singers to actors based off of their first true talent which is being a comedian mm. you know what i mean okay so yeah. they're authentic true to themselves sort of yeah i mean so jamie like fox that. did ray charles because he used to impersonate ray charles jamie okay. fox knew how to sing because of that by the way Eddie Murphy, same thing with Stevie Wonder, and he became a singer. You know, like so, like they, they were able to take one thing that a talent that they had and mm. expand on it. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Um, my role model growing up was my father. Mm -hmm. uh, he just carries himself with so much dignity and uh, and grace okay. in everything he does, whether it's work or sports. Mm -hmm. um, so in the sports world, he was an athlete. He ran the hundred meters and he played hockey in mm -hmm. school. Um, and so just seeing photos of him on the wall, mm -hmm. uh, you know, school photos and the odd medal and trophy uh, was enough to get me going. All right. Um, that's literally what led me to a sporting sort of path. Mm -hmm. And that's all I needed. Um, a lot of people tend to think you know, their ins inspiration should come from, come from global, global superstars. Yeah, not necessarily. Or Ronaldo or Messi, but... I think the most powerful source of inspiration are people you know personally. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, my father was all I needed uh, to get going. And then, you know, when I came back, uh, Hadi Soan, he won uh, Saudi's first silver medal. Yeah, the, the guy who was like a fraction of a second. I think it was from a gold medal. Zero three. Yes, I was so upset. He asked me not to remind him. <laughs> just, yeah, just, I'm I'm still frustrated from that. Yeah, I mean, I mean not, he was there. I'm frustrated for him, not you know, like you it know was, what I mean. I hope he's not listening, but it 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 was just a matter of him putting his head down. Yeah, he, his chest. I think his chest was actually further. Really, it was closer to the line, but you know, the other guy had his his head down, and that's mm. all. It. Okay. But um, look, when I met him, I was more inspired than I thought mm-hmm. I could be. I mean, he's a local. You know, he's. Yeah one of us and he's a silver medalist and meeting him I got sort of flustered mm-hmm. uh, because he also carried himself with such you know dignity and, and respect is so well spoken yeah. so uh, you can get inspired from really you know um, unexpected sources mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have to be you know Olympic medalist my, my dad wasn't okay. I just wanted to emulate his athleticism and one thing led to another um, okay. Hadi um, different conversation because he is a you know Olympic medalist mm-hmm. And sort of, he really sort of uh, inspired me to, to keep pushing and he made me believe that even for Saudis, it's very possible to medal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's within reach. When you meet someone who's achieved greatness, mm-hmm. you know, you start thinking, you know, if he can do it, I can do, I it, can do it. Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing. All right. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what makes the Saudi sports scene unique here in Saudi. Well, I can tell you what makes it unique today. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happening and why it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. So the leadership of Saudi sports today, so you have Prince Abdelaziz bin Turkil Faisal, Prince Fahd bin Jilwi, um, Abdelaziz Bashan. Mm-hmm. Um, as leaders of, of sports in Saudi, all they can do is create the right environment for the youth to develop into world-class athletes. Mm-hmm. To do that, um, they need to do two things. First, uh, create opportunity right. and second provide the support and this is why it's so exciting today because both of the things are uh, happening in full force mm-hmm. let me be more specific I mean with opportunity uh, you have you know the number of federations mm-hmm. have gone up in 2015 from 32 yeah, to 97 today yeah. so in terms of opportunity there's a lot more opportunity for the youth and a lot more diversity for them to choose from um, and another example is the Saudi Games. Mm-hmm. The Saudi Games open to all um, in all Olympic sports. So these opportunities are available to the Saudi youth today. Mm-hmm. In terms of support, you have, for example, the Federation Transformation Strategy, mm-hmm. which is a 1.6 billion real fund that will be injected into federations depending on certain KPIs. Okay. And these KPIs are sort of determined through the Various factors. Various factors. So it's 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 uh, it's uh, tailor made for the federation, depending on the sports ecosystem in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Saudi Olympic Training Center, which mm-hmm. where the elite athletes sort of they're taken care of yeah. in terms of physiotherapists, mental health. Okay. They're on a salary. They're focusing on certain sports for the Asian Games. As for well. Asian Games, for Olympics, yeah. these are. This is an organization focused on sort of the athletes who are ready to represent mm-hmm. on the world stage. So Olympics, Asian Games. Um, and then there's a wonderful uh, initiative. Called, uh, it's called, it's a platform called NIFAS. Mm-hmm. And it's a platform that enables the private sector to, um, to gain licenses to open their own sports clubs and mm-hmm. academies. Okay. 
you know, the, the support is there and the opportunity is there. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's such an exciting time. To, and that's why they're doing such a, a great job. These are all new initiatives that have happened in the last, you know, seven or so years. So inshallah, we'll see the, the fruits of, of those initiatives very soon. All right. And before we wrap up this interview, I always ask my guests to give a personal message to the audience. What's yours? If you had to make it quick, too. Um, I'd like to put you on the spot today. <laughs> I think something really interesting I read recently is something called hedonic adaptation. Mm -hmm. And I encourage uh, Arab news readers to look it up. Mm -hmm. And it's this tendency for humans to return to this stable level of happiness after achieving, um, you know, a massive achievement. Okay. So, well, let me put it into context. Uh, if you think achieving something will make you happy mm -hmm. it might do for a couple of weeks but then after that you will return to exactly how you were feeling before okay so what's the moral of that is to never pursue a goal for the goal's sake itself mm -hmm. because you would have then sort of realized you've wasted a lot of time mm -hmm. because it hasn't brought you into the happiness that you thought it might have mm -hmm. it's more about the journey make sure you yeah. enjoy what you do Okay. Uh, because that's, I mean, that's the moral of the story. And from personal experience, it's, it's sort of me going to the Olympics, right? I always mm -hmm. thought growing up, just if that, if I do that, then I'm going to live the rest of my life sort of, a, that's all I need to be happy. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, for, for a couple of weeks, I was over the moon. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. But then... What's next? Things go back. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's where the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side mm -hmm. comes from. Okay. So just always make sure you're doing something for the right reasons and mm -hmm. you enjoy the process. Because if you don't and you achieve whatever you wanted to achieve, very quickly you'll find out that, you know, uh, it didn't make you as happy as you thought. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's a good um, message and advice to give to the audience. Yeah. It goes with also a person always wanting to challenge themselves to strive to the next horizon. Exactly. And uh, before we wrap up our interview and ship you back to Jeddah, I'm going to close the show with uh, basically a quote that I like to say that kind of sums up what you just kind of explained. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. Right? Very good. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, thanks a lot for being here. Thank you for having and, me. And, uh, no, it's a pleasure. And we'll see you guys on the next one and only May Man Show. See you later.